Wolfgang Wimmers. Passage 9. Battle in the Meadow and Darkness in Shadow. The companions emerged from the cave, Oscar and Rosa again warmly wrapped in their jackets. After the darkness of the cave, the brightness of the outside world hurt their eyes. When their vision cleared, their hearts skipped a beat. Not twenty feet away stood an extremely angry, green, two-foot-tall monster, the Grobble. He was almost as wide as he was tall, bulbous, misshapen and warty. His glowing green eyes widened when he saw them, then narrowed with purpose. Grubble, he grubbled. You creeping creeper spied on me. You saw my treasures. His tongue sloshed out of his mouth and he licked his lips. Now you pay with your lives and fill my belly. Reaching behind him, he lifted something, someone, from his back. It was Sandy. She hung limply in his arms, looking tired, dull, and drained of the joy she had shone with at their last meeting. Sandy raised her head and spoke in a weary voice. I tried my best, children. The, the rest is up to him. And, and you. She slumped to the grass, sand flicking off her drooping wingtips. Sandy, called Rosa a look of deep concern on her face. The grobble snarled, a large gobbet of slime slushing from his lip to the ground. What have you done to her? roared Oscar. The grobble flinched in surprise at the boy's loud voice, but quickly regained his self-control. It's what I'll do to them, he said, pointing to Ash and Corby. And then, to you, that you should worry about. He glared at them and prepared to pounce, his sharp teeth hanging like filthy daggers. But before he attacked, he cast a look back at the hunched figure of Sandy behind him. For a brief moment, his facial expression changed to one of slight concern. Or, if not concern, at least confusion. The glow in his eyes faded ever so slightly. What is wrong, lady? he said. I did not hurt you. Sandy looked up at him with a weak smile and whispered something that the children were unable to hear. Taking advantage of the Grobble's distraction, 
Quilby's fingers fluidly flipped through his spellbook as fast as they could flutter. Come on, Quilby, whispered Ash, tightly gripping the club he had attempted to hide behind his legs. You can do it. Believe in yourself. Meanwhile, the Grubble seemed to be wrestling with a torrent of emotion, which was terribly reflected on his face. His gaze flicked between Sandy and the four friends, while the frenzy glow in his eyes wavered and looked to be slowly disappearing. Sweat ran down his face and onto his rash-covered chest, while long gangles of slime slooped from his warbling lips. <laughs> I don't know what to do, he cried out and fell to his knees, head in hands. I, 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 I don't know what to do either, whispered Quilby to his friends as he closed his spellbook. The confrontation had reached an impasse. All froze, as the Grobble's eyes again darted between Sandy and the group. At that moment, a loud peal of thunder sounded from the forest beyond the meadow. Taking his courage in his hands, Oscar stepped forward. Um, Mr. Grubble, he said, in what he hoped was a soothing tone, you obviously don't want to hurt Sandy. And maybe, maybe some of the things she said to you make sense. Maybe somewhere inside you, you want to help her. Maybe even want to be friends. I've been learning a few things about friends myself lately. You don't need to chase us anymore. We're good people. You don't have to do this. There was an uncomfortable silence. Rosa spoke, her eyes filling with tears. We need to help Sandy, Mr. Grovel. We we need you to let us help. If, if you care for her at all, you have to let us through. A tear slid down her cheek. The sky to the left of the cave was rapidly darkening. A deep, cracking peal of thunder sounded once more from the shady forest beyond. Grubble slowly turned his head towards them, eyes once more brimming with the frenzy glow. He spoke in a fierce, low whisper, looking directly at Oscar. You help her. He pointed at Quilby and Ash with his long, gangly arm. I help myself to them, he hissed leaping towards his prey in a flash. Quilby wasn't prepared. It would take too long to find and read a spell. They were done for. All of a sudden, 
a voice boomed from the edge of the forest. You will not do this thing, my son. There, emerging from the forest, was a troll in full battle armour, sitting proudly astride a giant white rat. His moist face jutted proudly out from under his silvery crown. One long, thick hair curved downward from his chin. He dabbed at his face with an already soiled kerchief, removing a blob of goop. The, 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 the troll king, breathed Quilby. Look at the size of that rat, said Oscar in astonishment. Shocked out of his pounce, the grubble collapsed in a rumbling mess of warty limbs and flinging goop. Father? he asked, the glow in his eyes beginning to flicker, as if his frenzy was being assaulted by new, even stronger emotions. The grubble wore a fearful expression on his face. But, but they, they... I don't care what they did, my son, King Cullum said. It is what you do. That troubles me. You have been gone from my house far too long, and it has obviously not been good for you. Yes, we've had our troubles, but this has to stop. There are much more important things afoot. We are at war, and the hour of battle is at hand. The king rode up to his son and placed his hand on his head. The glowing in the grovel's eyes immediately disappeared, and he slumped to the ground. Behind the king, a myriad of fairy creatures emerged from the forest, including pixies, gnomes, fairies, trolls, brownies, and elves. There were hundreds of them, all dressed in shining armour, and fully armed with swords, bows, and staffs. Sandy! cried Rosa, suddenly remembering and rushing over to her fairy guardian. Oscar hurried after her. What's wrong, Sandy? asked Oscar, bending down to her slumped body. What can we do? I'm afraid I've been away from the shore too long, Sandy replied softly. My sand is running out. As she spoke, small particles of sand dropped from her wings and flitted to the grass below. Take me over there, to the edge of the grass, would you please? A deafening crack of thunder rang out, and the sky darkened even further. Billowing clouds raced across the sky. Oscar gently lifted Sandy up into his arms and carried her over to the trees. Quilby and Ash followed them over to the tree line, leaving the grubble to his fate. As the companions crowded around Sandy, the grass below their feet began to frost over and a deep cold came rushing over the meadow, chilling them to the bone. Brr, said Rosa, shivering. What's going on? I believe I can illuminate matters, came a deep voice from behind her. The companions spun around to see the Troll King, 
who had approached astride his rat. His son cowered behind him. A dark presence has entered the fairy realm, the king said, and we are about to encounter it. How do you know this, your majesty? asked Ash. The return of the fabled unicorn was a bad omen, the king replied. I had to investigate. Could you give me one moment, please? Turning to his followers, the king shouted, Everyone! Into defensive positions! Generals, post your troops! In response, the army of fairy creatures formed up into well-ordered groups and spread themselves across the meadow, some on the ground and some hovering in the air. The king turned back. Where was I? Oh yes, the unicorn, he said, gesturing to William who was standing over by the cave, chewing on the frosty grass. When I dreamed of the white unicorn, I was determined to seek him out. But, just as we tracked him down, we smelt humans approaching the realm. He lifted his nostrils to the wind and sniffed at the children. <laughs> yes. Hmm. It was you two. Anyway, we were about to lead it back to Windermere when you four appeared. We managed to get a lock of the unicorn's hair, then scattered and flanked the swamp. Then we rode hard to take the lock to the wizard council. They cast their spells over the unicorn hair and discovered that a spell of all seeing had been cast on the animal. What does that mean? asked Oscar. It m m means that wh whoever cast the spell... Can, can see what our um, William can, can see, said Quilby. They all jumped as a huge fork of lightning blazed across the sky. A crack of thunder followed shortly after. So, whoever they are, they've been following us? asked Rosa. So it would appear said the Troll King. But there is one thing I know not. How did this dark presence get into the fairy realm? You travelled with a fairy, so I presume that's who dusted you in. But no fairy known to us would ever willingly give up their dust to someone evil. And even goblin slime does not contain the power to allow someone to enter our realm. He paused for a moment, deep in thought. Unless, for some reason, they had a lock of your hair and used it to follow you through the barrier. Oscar and Rosa turned to each other in immediate shock and concern. Oh, oh no, no, they said as one. Ash and Coolby's faces turned pale. Another loud crack thundered across the meadows. crunching sound of marching feet could be heard. From the far tree line came forth a monstrous horde, all prepared for battle. Wickedly curved swords and spears jutted out of the throng like spines out of a porcupine's back. First came the goblins, 
greenish-yellow of skin and bearing blackened steel armour. There were hundreds of the beasts. Behind these came a pack of savage hobgoblins, riding large-mouthed snarvels. Following these was a smattering of other beasts and bullies. By the time the horde came to a stop, it filled a third of the large meadow, but had left a large open channel running down the middle of its ranks. The fairy army and friends were about to find out why. From out of the grim, floating eerily from the trees, the dark witch emerged. Back in the cavern, Mother of Silk had crashed into the far wall, plunged through the darkness, then managed to cling to a small ledge on the side of the dark chasm until the magical whirlwind had blown its last gust. She had fallen far, but her silk was strong and her shot quick. Her sticky webs stuck strongly to the chasm wall and allowed her to arrest her fall before she could be shattered on the rocks below. Nonetheless, she had not survived unscathed. Her third right leg dangled down uselessly, and her abdomen was partially crushed. But she was alive. And despite her wounds, she was still hungry. So very hungry. The knowledge that another delicious meal had gotten away from her only served to strengthen the great craving in her digestive tubes. Mother spun more silk and used her two back legs to bind her broken leg to her body. As there was a chance it would heal over time, she didn't feel the need to tear it off just yet. She looked up. It was a long way to the top of the chasm and too far for her injured body to climb. She had never dared to enter the chasm before. She had thought it bottomless and was afraid her silk would run out. But now, the only way was down, further into the inky black. Mother shot several strands of silk to each side of the chasm and joined them in the middle. From this, she descended, spreading her seven good legs so they could ease her landing, if it came. Down and down she dropped, spinning her ropey silk until her spinnerets could barely produce any more. She felt drained, exhausted, and was about to fold her legs and give up when they gently touched the rocks below. She tucked into a ball and rested, building her strength. But Mother couldn't rest for long. She needed to feed. As soon as some of her strength returned, she carefully began feeling her way through the blackness. Over rock and dust she clambered, using the walls to guide her forward. At last her senses told her to stop. She crouched low and waited. In a few moments she felt it. The hairs on her body twitched. A slight breeze 